What's the gospel? Put it in a sentence. The gospel is the news that Jesus Christ, the righteous one, died for our sins. Rose again, eternally triumphant over all his enemies, so that there is now no condemnation for those who believe, but only everlasting joy. That's the gospel. Hey guys, and welcome to the Pulse Podcast. I am your host, Toya Akinoso, and I am joined by Mike Omani, who you get to meet very, very shortly. But in case you're new around here and you're wondering, oh my days, it's another podcast. I wonder what this one's going to be about. The Pulse Podcast essentially is a platform where our listeners get to send in Pulse raising questions regarding the Christian faith. And as this is our first podcast, our genesis, if you will, I thought a really good place for us to start and for us to discuss is kind of our genesis, how this podcast came about, how OGGM originally started, and also the genesis account. So what does the Bible say about our beginning? And how also did we both did we both get to where we are today? So in case you're new around here, the very first question is kind of how this podcast came about. You're probably wondering, I think I've heard this before. It sounds very familiar. Well, that's because about three years ago, we actually started the Pulse series over on a different platform on YouTube at www.youtube forward slash Our God Given Mission. And if, you, if you've been around us for a while, you probably know about that. And now we're actually moving into a new platform because one, podcasts are obviously far more easily um, produced. And secondly, um, it really gives us more room to breathe and really go in depth with some of these questions which we're going to try and answer. And also we believe it really benefit you on your way to work, um, just as you're going about your day, if you're having a little cheeky gym session as well. Um, with all that being said, I guess the very first question I don't want to ask you, Mike, is to firstly obviously introduce yourself and tell us what is your genesis? How did you get to where you are today? Hey, how you doing, Toy? Thank you for hey. <laughs> for having me on. Um, my genesis, that's a, that's a really big question. Um, it depends what you mean. I mean, my genesis in terms of when I was made, it was when... My dad had coitus <laughs> with my mum, both wedded, of course, um, and gave birth to me. That's where I began. Um, I then grew up the way anyone does, kind of go into school and uh, engage in lots of sport. Sport was really my life growing up. I, I only saw myself through the guise of sport. I thought I would be a sports person forever. So, um, you know, that, that, that dominated most of my childhood. Um, I then met Jesus when I was 13 years old. So I grew up in the church and I'd always gone to church because obviously my mum made me go. I'm obviously Nigerian. So it wasn't negotiable. I had to go to church. It's either that or I was homeless or something. So, so I went to church and I didn't really know why we were there. I just kind of thought it was a a kind of club of people who wanted to be better um, and who had issues. At the time, it was like immigration issues. So growing up, I thought that was what church was basically about, a place where folks who needed help with immigration came together uh, to ask the sky god for help. And literally, that's how I used to think in my head because I was a very, um, let's say, able kid. I really loved reading. I loved poking holes and stuff. I was... I fancied myself an intellect, uh, an intellectual a bit. I really wasn't, but of course I thought I was. So when I looked around church and I saw folks worshiping, I always look at it kind of suspiciously. Anyways, on a fateful day, 
when I was 13, on a random Sunday that I don't remember, a man was introduced uh, to us, the congregation, and he would be preaching that morning. And he, pro he, he preached really powerfully. <laughs> so much so that he presented the gospel to me the, the first time I've ever, I've ever heard the full gospel, he presented it. And it really made me stand back and go, whoa, hold on, what is, what is this thing he's saying? That, that, that I'm, I'm, I'm sinful and there's nothing I can do to change it. And, and that there's a God who is perfect and he's far above me. I mean, that kind of made me think, whoa, whoa, whoa who is this guy? So, you know, he, he preached the whole gospel. He told me at the end, you know, if you believe it, come to the front and receive Jesus. And I couldn't, I can't quite explain because he knocked down a lot of the intellectual pillars or barricades I had built up. And anyways, he preached the gospel. I stood up and I found myself walking to the front, <laughs> which is really weird. And then he prayed for me and that was pretty much it. And, and I always tell people that my conversion on like, say, Saul or Paul, was really ordinary. I kind of—it's kind of sad because I used to always talk about folks who got stabbed, and they would be like, "They got stabbed," and and Jesus appeared to them in a in the flashlight and said, "Go back and fin and and spread my word." And then they wake up, and that's not me. I just walked up, and the guy prayed for me, and I walked back, and no one in the church was taking it seriously because I was thirteen, but I felt a very strong presence or knowing that was telling me, Mike, even though no one's taking this seriously you take it seriously yeah. because what just happened is going to matter um and then after that i fell in love with jesus i grew up mm -hmm. um learning more reading more i studied ppe politics philosophy and economics university did the masters in political theory philosophy and politics um started a phd on philosophy and and tech and i'm just super interested in jesus things of god and the bible and and how we do and live christian lives authentically so yeah, that, that, I think that kind of explains things. Yeah, that, that was really, really good good to hear. And I think one thing I've noticed that you've missed out and one thing is probably a very important question to ask and why we're really here today is then how in your story did OGGM come into it? As in, we know you haven't said yet, but we know you're what the director. Oh man, oh, th that old thing. Um, <laughs> why, uh, why are you talking like this? <laughs> that old thing. I don't know, my American accent just really comes out every now and then. But um, <laughs> my story actually then is actually very, very similar to yours. Um, I was born... Um, in Nigeria, in a oil state, in a place called Ibadan. Um, I moved to the UK when I was six. I knew you wasn't from here. Wow, that's uh, very offensive. Um, oh, you what? You wish sorry. you were from here? Um, actually, uh, don't put me into this pit hole. All right. Well, you said it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> so I moved, or I say I moved. My mom and my dad moved us to England around age six. Um, well, I you know, did a traditional British educational system, went to school, and a large part of my life was obviously church. Um, similar to you, Mike, I was very involved in church. I was in church. I know everyone says they grew up in church, but I grew up in church. I was in church five days a week. Um, Bible study is prayer meeting, night vigil, choir practice, and all of that stuff. Um, so outwardly, I had a very good outward appearance of Christianity, but inwardly, that experience of God was just never really there. Um, and that's how I lived large portions of my life. Um, outside of that, I was also very involved in sport and music for a, lot, for a large part of my life. I thought that was kind of my calling on this earth to do something with the music um, industry. But I remember going off to university and I was in that little awkward middle ground where I had a bit too much of the world to enjoy Christianity, but a bit too much of Christianity to enjoy the world. 
Um, so it was a little bit of a funny place to be, especially when you go into a place such as university, it just leads to all sorts of confusion. Um, the analogy I always used was that I, I kind of had my legs dangling in the pool, but I was never really swimming. So I remember all my friends, especially in first year, thought I was some super holy Christian guy. Um, but my private life really told a completely different story. And then it wasn't until about February, March of my first year of university, there was a gig um that OGGM was actually putting on where they needed a guitarist um and someone somehow found out I played the guitar and then I get a phone call 2 a.m that day saying hey we need a guitarist would you like to come and I said sure I'm not really doing anything too much so I, um, I went to the gig I played um the guitar and that was very much so my first experience with OGGM um and then after the event I meet a guy called um Mike I'm not sure if you've heard of him um and then Mike invited me to his for some tea um Yes, tea. I said that I right. I love tea. <laughs> um, he invited me around for some tea um, and I went there. And over the next couple of months or so, we just spent a lot of time together. I remember one specific conversation that we had and Mike just really presented the gospel to me. And for the first time in my life, about 19 years old, growing up in church, being in church five days a week, that was the very first time I truly heard what it meant to be a Christian and what the gospel was all about. And now moving on from that, that's one thing I'm really, really passionate about is sharing the explicit gospel because that, that's what we see. So many people are in my situation where we grew up in church. I'm not sure if the issue is there's a gospel literacy or there's a gospel ignorance where it's not really preached. But now after seeing my story and hearing this story repeated so many times, I really see there's a real problem that the gospel just isn't being taught or preached in churches today. And that's actually leads me on to why I joined OGGM because it was a charity which is all about proclaiming the gospel of Jesus Christ. So then Mike, I then throw that to you. Can you share a bit more about what OGGM is and what our vision is at this charity? Yeah, so that's good, man. So good to hear that story you just said. Of course, it's not a story. It is your lived reality. And you are right that a lot of people have the same lived reality, which is that they get ex uh, engaged with the business of Christianity and you know the the talking and the behaving right and the saying the right things and looking right and of course all that stuff is easy what's hard is to submit yourselves to repent to actually trust and obey God's word and to have faith in him which is all part and parcel of receiving Jesus Christ so with that same need um, you know in university so I came to university really looking to serve god as best as i could and i joined a couple of churches and you know that was a good experience for a while but um it's kind of hard to say what happened but i just i remember kind of during my laptop time which is where i'm you know when you're just on the laptop just searching stuff <laughs> <laughs> and uh, you know i find myself feeling a strong sense of go to tenerife like go to tenerife and at the time, I have no idea what Tenerife is. I don't know if someone planted it in my head. I literally have no business in Tenerife. But somehow, I I start this, getting this strong sensation of I need to go to Tenerife and tell people about Jesus. And if you can imagine, it was quite random. I'm from London. I've never been to Tenerife. There's, I have no family there. There's no connection there. What Tenerife wasn't in the news even. So there was no reason for me to have these thoughts. Anyways, I probed it further. I decided I was going to go. Um, I bought my tickets. I messaged friends and said to friends, I'm going to go to Tenerife. And at the time, you know, I had a lot of Christian friends. So they were like, yes, we'll come. <laughs> we'll do the missions with you. And I had like a good 90 people reply like, I'm going to come. I'm going to come. When it came time to it, only 10 people actually 
showed up. We started doing discipleship courses and and studying together and all these sorts of different things. And we ended up going to Tenerife and we just had a life changing experience. There's no, I mean, we nearly died a couple of times because, <laughs> of course, we weren't. I mean, the funny part of the story is I didn't know they drive on the other side of the road when I got there. So. You know, it was just lots and lots of near-death experiences and not in the spiritual sense, as in we just don't nearly died. Lots of that, but also we came back super changed. I mean, we just had a, a greater and a more acute sense of what mattered, uh, what, what, you know, the, the need to commit our lives to the gospel and it not be something with you on the side. Of course, the people who went were super gifted. You know, I'm, I'm into business and academia and all this kind of stuff. You know, and and we had folks who were into law and education, and God just made it very clear to us that these those are lovely, but those are secondary callings. Your first calling is that revealed in Matthew twenty eight nineteen, which is to share the gospel to everybody, to make disciples of all nations, to baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, to teach them to obey and to observe the law. Like that's exactly what it means to be a Christian. So we started a charity, and since then we've written countless blogs and and done all sorts of events and been to all sorts of universities running lots and lots of projects all geared at helping people know the gospel uh and you know understand it i guess and, and also preach and teach uh the gospel so now we are a fully fledged uh, christian charity four years old um helping millennials all across the uk um, and i suspect you know overseas uh, know jesus and proclaim him better yeah that's amazing thank you for sharing that mike one thing i'll ask um if one of our listeners is very interested in learning a bit more about OGGM, where is there a website is there a page where can they go to find out a little bit more about the charity i can type our god given mission um anywhere yeah and, and you should you know, get to the site and socials and stuff like that yeah so with all that being said after spending some time sharing our stories and our genesis then the kind of the meat of the question uh, and today's discussion is then how uh, amongst the many debates around this how should we view the genesis account is it allegorical scientific descriptive what is the right lens and the right approach to take with the genesis account and what should eden represent to us Right, big question. Um, I hope you have your pens and paper. <laughs> now, it's, it's an important question because, of course, if you are involved in society, i.e. you work, um, you make a living um, in the quote-unquote secular world, you mean the, the secular sacred divide is obviously something we, we should probably go into in, a, in, a, in, another, in, a, in another episode. But if you work, uh, then, then you will meet people who are not Christians. And, of course, People who are not Christians have a totally different account of what uh, Genesis means and, and, and what it ought to mean in our lives. And I guess as Christians, we often struggle with seeing Genesis uh, through the lens of the writer. Um, so the debate typically are whether Genesis is a myth and it's something that, you know, it's meant to point at something, but it's not totally true or whether it's a you know poem, or whether it's actually scientific scientific fact. Of course, those who believe that it's scientific fact may be called young Earth creationists. Because if you believe the Genesis account as scientific fact, then the Earth would be something like six thousand years old, which 
uh, the advent of fossil fuels and, 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 and just, I guess, just philosophical inquiry over the last few years has revealed to us that the Earth is probably much older than 6,000 years old. But also, you know, the, the question doesn't go away then, which is, well, how then, as you said, should we see the Genesis account? Well, it's important to know that the Bible lets us know that that the word of God, which may be circular, right, is 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 God's inspired word, right? So Genesis is God's inspired word. Important to note that there was no human observer present during creation. Uh, so so God did not simply dictate a kind of transcript of what happened and someone kind of wrote it down and the author uh, just kind of penned down God's dictation and then wrote it down. Um, we know that the person who wrote, is, uh, who wrote Genesis was an Israelite. So we have an Israelite author's account of God's creative act communicated at the time to an Israelite audience right so so we believe that the understanding of the, the, that the narrator has the one who's writing the book is god given so therefore we have to accept that genesis is the authoritative true understanding of how god created the world and how the world came to be however there is something to be said about the genre of the text and how we are we ought to use in various hermeneutic principles how we ought to interpret the word that may help us make more sense of it in our lives today should i pause here for you to, to, for you to jump in um yeah um i think a lot of things you said were really really <laughs> good um the only thing i would then kind of push a little bit further is if the genesis account isn't as historically documented as the other accounts and uh, we just know we don't really know who wrote it we just know it was an israelite how then can we say it has authority or how can we trust it just as much as we trust the other scriptures in the bible yeah it's really good well one thing we have to first make like, really try to understand is you know most of our our approach to understanding the bible has to be tempered because we are dealing with a uh, 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 what we may call uh, an archaic or, or, or historical text, if you like, right? Or an ancient text, for want of a better term. An ancient speak, an ancient speech is quite different to modern speech. Uh, ancient speech, just to offer some kind of general thoughts, typically deals or uh, in in more symbolism than it does you know hard facts right so so in the bible there are lots of symbols and lots of um uh, kind of iconography used to con to convey certain things so mm -hmm. you know uh, rather than seeing it, it as a as a strict dictation uh historical dictation like symbolisms and and pictures and images may be used to convey uh, meaning this is very very important because if we talk about the history of Genesis and we subject it to genre studies, right, then when people have this debate whether uh, Genesis is historical or it's a myth or it's poetry, they, they seem to think, and I suspect why people often fight and say, no, the earth is 6,000 years old. The Genesis is the literal account of how the earth was made. The reason is because they think if Genesis was a poem, then, then the fact that it was a it was poetry or, or it was mythical might undermine the actual truth claims it's making but this is obviously wrong because like, as i said before historical texts convey truth in many many different ways and truth yeah. can be conveyed in many many different genres or what we call literary packages right so we have to ask ourselves well what are the truth claims of genesis what are the narrator's intention what is he trying to do now i don't know if we have time for this fully but 
a quick summation might be to, 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 to take us through chapters 1 to 11. We now are speaking about the development of the human race and how we get humanity, right? Then you have 15 to 20 who focus on specifically Abraham's story, right? So there you've got two different intentions already. And the best example I can give of this is one that I was told many, many years ago that I think is still relevant today, which it sounds really foolish, but if you go with me for a minute, think about your favorite TV show that's being created, right? So let's let's use my wife and kids as an example because I wow. grew up watching my wife and kids. So my wife and kids happens, right? It, 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 there's actors, there's you know all these people, and they are essentially acting out the film now. There are lots of different cameras capturing what's going on, yeah. So you know, uh, uh, you know, there might be a, a wide-angle camera that ca that tries to capture you know, the, the, the you know the, the whole set. You might have some close-up cameras that, that that capture the 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 kind of you know little and and you know nuanced uh, expressions in the face of, of of the actors, and you got other cameras as well. Now, once the filming process is done, what you tell the director to then do isn't recreate exactly what happened. No, he then has to go through this process of editing uh, what's been done, right? Uh, picking certain cameras to come in in certain angles, uh, picking certain, uh, when the camera's going to pan. He essentially orchestrates a narration that fits the purpose that he's trying to get across. So he's got this truth claim he's trying to make. He's got this story, this narrative he's trying to tell. And he then goes through the process of editing and using all these different angles to tell a specific story. Now, what, he, what he's saying at the end is true. Um, um, he's using real actors. Uh, he's using real, a real storyline. He's editing it so as to essentially, just like the way a conductor would do it with an orchestral band, he's just picking all the different parts to make a certain truth. And there's the thing we must understand which will change the way we think about Genesis is ancient writers were far more interested in the meaning of events rather than a detailed account of what happened. So when you when you when you uh, take an ancient text and you subject it to a modern interpretation, that's where you get the issues, right? So so when we look at the Bible and we go, well, what exactly happened and and what second did it happen? What minute did it happen? Ancient authors weren't interested in this. They they weren't. The the details of the event didn't bother them as much as the iconography or the symbolism or the meaning of the events did. In, these, in, in that sense, then, these narratives are not like modern historical narratives. And if we try to reduce the recorded events to a series of just random events, then we miss out the whole point of the narrative in the first place. Yeah, you said something that was really, really good there um, a couple of moments ago. You said ancient text is far more interested in the meaning of the text rather than the detail. And then yeah. what, what I'll then ask you, then, then what should Eden represent to us now? And where do we see the gospel message in Genesis? Well, that's super good because when we look at Eden, we don't have to ask ourselves, okay, cool. So perhaps we're not interested in the, in, in, in the exact measurements of, <laughs> of the hedges or, or the exact measurements of the tree of life and how tall it was and how wide the diameter is. But instead, we're interested in the meaning of Eden. So what is Eden then? And what is it meant to represent in our lives? Well, if we look at Genesis 2.8, this is where we get, well, from 2.8 there on, is where we get a real picture of what this Eden looks looks like now eden we know means a walled area right or or edge or or head or, or hedged area so it's an area that's protected 
right? Uh, it's that's and, and it's harboring something. If it's protected and there's boundaries or walls or hedges, it means there's something on the on the outside that needs to stay out, and there's something on the inside that ought to stay in. So, that, so that's the first thing. Now we learn also when you uh, from Genesis, pretty much from Genesis two eight to Genesis three one, where we actually see the enemy come in and pervert things. We learn that in Eden that there is a tree of life, and that tree of life was in the middle, and that tree of life represents uh, the, the God's seed or, or, or a certain seed life. So, so, so we get that. So that's the first thing. That's there. That's interesting to, to, to look at. Maybe we'll come back to that. We also learn, as I said before, that garden uh, is confusing when you translate it. In Hebrew, Eden means a walled area. So there's protection there from the Eve one, perhaps, because we know Lucifer, Lucifer fell first. So, so this wall is being used to protect, uh, and God is creating this walled area for protection of what is his seed life, which may, we may call the life source. The third characteristic thing, if you like, about Eden is that it's a place where God is walking with man. So Eden's a place where God and man dwelt together. They walked together. One term often used for friends who you do life together is you, you say, we, we journeyed together. We walked together. So, so Eden is this place where God and man intimately dwelt together and God was intensely present. So here we hear the purpose of Eden is to host the presence of God. Important to understand, you take a look at Romans 12, equally our core here is to host the presence of God. Anyways, you then look at the fourth characteristic characteristic thing, which I think is really important. We hear that from the north, if you like, of Eden, that a river ran out of Eden, not through it, but out of Eden. So from this source, this seed life we see planted in, in the middle, from this place that's ward and that's protecting um, um, something sacred, from this place that holds the God, the, the God's presence, a river runs out of it. The source is protected and Eden gives life to its environment. This is really powerful stuff because if the whole point of the gospel, the good news, euangelion in the Greek, this idea that God has beaten uh, 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 death and he has taken the sting out of death and, and sin's been dealt the final blow and like if, if this good news means that we get re reconciled back to god and we get god himself then it means god is interested in restoring his children to this eden-like reality to this place where we have his seed life inside of us right jesus lets us know let this mind be in you the same mind that was in christ jesus so so we so we are indwelt with the holy spirit that we harbor and we are host to the presence of god that through our life that's yielded and in communion with god a, a river runs out of our lives that nourishes people around us it nourishes the earth around us Important to note that when you fast forward to Re revelations 21 or so you get the same picture painted again that we don't have time for it but you get the same picture that this is what our lives are meant to be as believers yielded in total submission to god hosting the presence of god protected from all the different devices this world has to throw at us but also flowing out and nourishing the environment around us yeah, that's amazing. And we could actually make 50 more podcasts about each and everything you mentioned there. But one last thing I just want to ask you today is you've said quite a, quite a lot of stuff and I'm sure our, our listeners might want to watch this again with a pen and paper. You said it as a joke, but <laughs> I generally think there's a lot of good stuff in there. But what would be the one takeaway that you would want people listening to this to take from everything you've just said? <laughs> 
<laughs> I don't know. <laughs> I mean, I'm just answering your questions. Yeah. I mean, we want to we, we want to engage um, with these issues. Um, this podcast is called The Pulse because the idea is that we get a chance to delve deep into these issues rather than uh, kind of have a touch and go attempt yeah. at answering them. So one thing I would encourage Christians to be is to be like Berean Christians, folks who don't just listen and go, that sounds right, I've run with that. But folks who, who would go, that doesn't sound right. Let me do some more research or let me subject what's been said into more introspection. I think as long as we have Christians who won't just listen for bread and, 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 and just, you know, uh, uh, take things at face value but will do deeper study themselves and commit themselves to bible study if we have that i think we'll be okay so my invitation really is for those who are listening to take these things into prayer to take these things into deeper study and deeper fellowship and to really try and tease out what is god's truth for today to not run to different camps and 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 stay in different echo chambers but to really grasp the difficulty of god's word and to ask what application does it have in their life today thank you so much for that mike and thank you for listening as well if you wouldn't mind you can hit that subscribe button at the bottom of this podcast and we hope to see you next week at saturday at 7 p.m where we discuss what should a christian's response be to cults